Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Over the past year, we've gotten more comfortable with working over the internet. Medical providers had already been using our technology for treatments. Telemedicine, tonight on call with the Prairie Doc. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Doc. I'm Dr. Vance Thompson. Telemedicine is defined as the use of medical information exchanged from one site to another via electronic communications to improve a patient's clinical health status. Tonight, we will discuss the main goals of telemedicine, including improved outcomes for patients, lower costs for patients and providers, increased access to care, and increased quality of care. But first, a look at this week's Prairie Dot Quiz question. A multiple choice tonight. Which statement is true regarding telemedicine in the United States? Patients are likely to recommend a provider who gives them a choice between a person, an in-person, and a telemedicine visit. That's the first choice. And B, Telemedicine patient satisfaction is similar at all ages. Or C, both are true. Viewers who call in the correct answer will be entered into a drawing to win a copy of the book, The Picture of Health, each of Dr. Holmes' essays originally written for On Call with the Prairie Doc. It comes with a beautiful accompanying photograph by Dr. Judith Peterson and we will announce the answer and the winner at the end of the show. And remember, you only have 10 minutes to get your answer in. We answer your questions about telemedicine as they are called in or sent to us via Facebook or email. <clears throat> Call in questions to 1-888-376-6225 or send us an email to the address on the screen. Joining us tonight in the studio is Dr. Brian Scow, Chief Medical Officer of Avera eCare in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And remotely via Zoom is Dr. Phil Meyer, a hospitalist with Avera St. Mary's in Pierre. Welcome Dr. Scow and Dr. Meyer. And Thank before you. we get started, should I refer to you as Dr. Scow and Dr. Meyer? Uh, Brian's fine. Thanks, Vance. Brian? Now call me Phil. Phil, and you guys can call me Vance. And this is going to be a conversation about telemedicine to help the people of our region understand how much it's progressed. And, you know, Dr. Scow has a ton of experience, 17 years and counting as an emergency room physician, over 15,000 hours of telehealth video encounters. And uh, 
Brian, tell us a little bit about what you do with Avera eCare. Thank you, and thank you for the warm introduction. Thank yeah. you to Prairie Doc for the invite. And yeah, I'd be happy to give you an overview of, of what we do at Avera eCare. So we've been in the telemedicine space uh, going on about 25 years. Uh, we've really grown to this point uh, based on the generous support that we've received from the Helmsley Trust. So located in Sioux Falls, on the north side of Sioux Falls, in what I like to call a technology district, is where we have our telemedicine hub. So within this building, we have a virtual hospital. Uh, we have a clinical area, an administrative area, and also educational services. Uh, within this building, we provide services to 600 facilities across approximately 40 states. Wow. Across the United States. But our passion is rural health care, especially in the Midwest. So within this building, we'll talk about telemedicine, uh, what it means to us, and what are the types of delivery systems that we use to provide this type of care to patients. Now when I talk about service lines, what I'm looking at is the different specialty areas. So emergency medicine, I'm an emergency medicine physician, so I'm a little partial uh, to our emergency program. Uh, so within this program, uh, we assist over 200 critical access hospitals across the nation. The majority are in the Midwest. What this means is within these critical access hospitals, there's an easy button that's on the wall. So with the push of a button, they can beam in one of my emergency medicine specialists to assist with <coughs> critical patients. This is extremely valuable in critical access hospitals and in the rural settings, mainly because the number of critical care patients that they see might be one a month. So we can assist with caring for uh, cardiac arrests, strokes, heart attacks, to name a few things, uh, which is very valuable. In addition, we have an ICU program where we can assist larger hospitals. Uh, we have a nursing, nursing home program where we monitor over 9,000 nursing home beds across the United States. A pharmacy program, we're heavily involved with Indian Health Services, especially in South Dakota on the Rosebud and Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, where there's, there's a paucity of specialists to provide different types of care. So we're able to provide those types of things. In addition to that, we have a school health program. Uh, many uh, rural schools don't have access to uh, nurses during you know, five days of the school week. So we're able to beam in school nurses. Our focus and the three pillars that we really look at are quality, access, and cost. A fourth one that we like to focus on is physician burnout and provider recruiter, recru retention and recruiting them uh, locally. On the quality aspect, we look at augmenting the quality care that these rural facilities are already providing. On the access piece, we look at, we want to provide them the same specialists that we might have in Sioux Falls or a larger location to their local facility that they might not normally have access to. We also look at cost savings uh, by increasing the revenue of the local facility by keeping more patients local. Because it's definitely a big struggle in rural hospitals today. We're seeing closures uh, throughout the United States. And if you can increase the revenue by keeping more patients local, that's key. And then lastly, provider burnout. You know, many times in these rural facilities, you know, the physician is in the clinic. They're staffing the emergency department. They're on call. So we're able to provide that backup piece 
to help them when they're on call. So maybe after 5 p.m., uh, they can go to their children's basketball game, they right. can get a good night's rest, and be refreshed for the clinic the next day, and we can care for the patient throughout the night. Now, mind you, there's always a bedside provider there locally to come in and take care of the critical things, but we can help with some of the tasks throughout the night. So that's a, a 30,000 foot overview of what we've been doing over the last 20, 25 years. Beautiful and so impactful. And uh, Phil, you're in Pierre, you're a hospitalist at Avera St. Mary's, and you've been an internist for 20 years, like the founder of the Prairie Doc, Rick Holm. And uh, you, I've known you by reputation. It's an honor to have you on this program. And I would love to hear how you, as you know, having a great practice and also a hospitalist, just kind of your view on growth of telemedicine in your area and how it's impacted you, you, you and your patients. Well, first of all, thank you, Vance. That's a very nice introduction. I, um, I've been practicing in peer my entire career. Um, I came here in 1997. Uh, practice general internal medicine, both clinic and hospital, and have been the beneficiary of uh, telehealth services via the Helmsley Grant in both of those settings. Uh, much like Dr. Scow described, um, the, the products are all across an array of services from outpatient to inpatient to emergency room. Um, in my previous clinic life of 20 years, we often would get the consult that we needed for a difficult medical patient electronically rather than having that patient travel uh, to the specialist three hours away or three and a half hours away. Um, that took on even more meaning to me when I transitioned to a hospital medicine practice full time where I have an acutely ill patient who needs answers more quickly than the outpatient and I've been able to get uh, e-consultations from specialists like infectious disease and liver disease, hepatology, um, EICU to get a critical care doc uh, to weigh in. Um, you know, I've, I've often told people that there's really three sizes of hospitals in South Dakota. There's the small ones, there's the medium, and, and there's the large ones. And places like Pier and Mitchell um, and Brookings and Watertown might be the, the medium-sized hospitals. and we have services that other places don't yet. We are not referral centers with everything. Sometimes we have the specialist or the knowledge and not the tool. Uh, but when we have the tools and need a little help with reinforcement of say, diagnostics or a treatment plan, to be able to dial that up electronically, to be able to have my inpatient go face to face on a screen like I'm doing with you now, and speak to the specialist and be interviewed by the specialist um, and come up with a treatment plan, interactive with myself being the primary physician on the ground, just extremely helpful. And um, for my patients, it's just been um, unmeasurable. It's interesting as we're doing a program on telemedicine, how natural it is to be speaking with Brian in person and Phil uh, by Zoom which is a lot like you experience with your you know, patients in telemedicine or doctor to doctor or doctor to patient, but it, 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 it feels very good and, and you make it feel very comfortable. So I can see why your patients love you. And uh, 
You know, you mentioned the Vera you know, EICU. I got to tell you, this is near and dear to my heart because my brother-in-law, Dr. Dave Kapaska, I'll never forget at Thanksgiving 25 years ago, telling me he had a dream of taking specialty services to small town hospitals to help. And the support he got from the whole administration and to be sitting here 25 years later doing this program with you um, is just, it's, uh, it's, it's moving. Now I have to tell you also growing up in small town South Dakota and being a physician and knowing the anxiety that patients can have when they're sitting there out in a rural place, because we love our state, we love our elbow room, but we also, sometimes it's a disadvantage when you have a problem. Whereas what telemedicine has brought is a game changer to be able to enjoy your rural life, but have world-class healthcare at a moment's notice. And it's gotta feel good, you guys, to relieve that anxiety and be there for them so quickly. Yes, it definitely does. And you, you hit on a point there, timeliness of care. And that's one of our key metrics that we follow. How quickly can I come up on screen in Wagner, South Dakota to care for a stroke patient? The answer is about 15 seconds. In a lot of wow. these critical access hospitals, uh, the volume, especially after 7 p.m., they might see one patient a night. So the physicians or advanced practice providers aren't physically in the hospital. So it makes a big difference when you can get an emergency medicine physician beamed in virtually to get things started. In fact, on my last shift uh, here in South Dakota, we had a 50-year-old patient come in, male, and uh, he had what we call a STEMI, which is the medical word uh, for a major heart attack. Uh, this happened to happen at three in the morning. The physician was at home. Response time was about 25, 30 minutes. So the nurse was able to push the button. Within about 15 seconds, we were able to assess this patient. Uh, we can zoom in on the EKG screen and read it on the computer even before it pops off the machine. Identified it as a STEMI. Got life-saving treatment started. This includes aspirin, heparin, beta blockers, and then the life-saving blood thinner, uh, TNK, uh, to bust the clot up on the heart attack. In addition, called the helicopter, card, called the cardiologist, and I'm in contact with the uh, physician while they're coming into the hospital, they're in agreement with the treatment plan. So within that 30 minutes, we were able to resuscitate this patient, stabilize them. By the time the bedside provider got there, the flight team was at the bedside loading the patient, getting him ready. The bedside physician did his exam. He was in agreement, flew them over to the cardiac cath lab, got a stent placed in less than an hour, and was at home two days later. But you can imagine with that timely response how it can make a difference in MI care, stroke care, sepsis, arrests. And I think that's really where we're making a difference in these rural communities. That's amazing, Brian. And Phil, you, yeah, the, to hear stories like this and to be relieving anxiety, the way we've traditionally did in person, but now we can be in that patient's living room. What have you seen as far as that look on patients' faces when they're just like, and you're telling them everything's gonna be okay. You know, I've been in a number of situations, um, uh, positive situations um, with the electronic services, much like Brian described. Um, I, I know that our emergency room physicians here at St. Mary's and Pier have that screen to screen or face to screen interaction with the uh, E the emergency medicine service 
we have that similar thing in our ICU as a hospitalist. Um, you know, maybe one of my favorite uh, stories, instances, experiences with eCare is several instances I could give you when I'm in the critical care unit. And mind you, as an internal medicine physician in a town this size, you are the critical care physician. Um, and um, most recently, during the peak of our pandemic experience, um, we really had to do a lot more ventilated care than we are accustomed to. And I think that was the case nationwide. So just imagine that um, you're uh, the patient with COVID-19 or some other critical illness lying in the ICU and having some trouble. And I'm able to push the red button, get the critical care specialist uh, up on the screen in the room where he has a high definition, he or she has a high definition camera and they can look at the patient. The most productive situation is when I'm in the room with the patient, the patient's loved one, and I have the critical care specialist on the screen. Um, and him and I, or her and I, are collaborating on the care of the patient, troubleshooting the ventilator settings, uh, troubleshooting the therapies that we're giving for, say, hypotensive shock or septic shock. And in real time, everybody there can witness that we're working together and working very hard on this and that I'm getting expert level care uh, from outside. I'm getting expert level counsel and opinion from outside. And just to further emphasize that, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is while a lot of our specialists who provide e-services are based in Sioux Falls and a couple other cities around the state, the critical care specialists are nationwide. So we have we have critical care doctors from Seattle to Detroit to actually Tel Aviv, Israel, who work for the EICU and they are boarded critical care physicians. Uh, they're on 24 hours a day. And when I consult one of them, I may get somebody from Detroit or Seattle or Chicago. But during the pandemic, where we got hit kind of late with our surge in patients, we were working with, in collaboration with, electronic ICU physicians who had been taking care of COVID for a few months. And so I, I can't tell you how invaluable it was right. to have somebody with experience is at this point, you know, say October, November, who had experience with COVID? Well, there were a few who had a few months and we were able to dial them up electronically and bring them into the room. That's absolutely stunning, Phil. Well, comfort and convenience are just a couple of the benefits of telemedicine. Yankton resident Cindy Lancaster told Prairie Doc reporter Tori Burnt about her feelings when this option was presented to her. I was elated because first off, my daughter would have had to take off another day from work. She would have had to drive an hour to my house to pick me up and then another hour, another hour, 10 minutes to get to the clinic. How was I going to get back there the next day when I couldn't drive? And I really don't like to have my daughter take more time off from work for me. What was your experience with telehealth? It was awesome. I am pretty comfortable with Zoom meetings anyway, but the fact that they just send me a link in my email, I click it, um, got two doctors in front of me, and they basically were just looking to see how I felt, how if I had any redness, and I even just held my phone up to my eye real close and they could see if there was any redness in my eye. What did Dr. Thompson do to make your telehealth visit feel like an actual visit? 
ask me questions just like they would if I had driven over there. They'd ask, did I have any side effects? How was I feeling after the anesthesia wore off? Um, if I had any pain? Just the normal things that I would have had, I would have asked or been asked had I driven to the office. Was it hard to use like maneuver the phone for Dr. Thompson to be able to see or was it pretty easy? It was very easy. Uh, normally I do my Zoom meetings on my laptop, but that day I happened to have been on my phone. It was so easy. It's, I highly recommend it. It's just an, a great option for people. It's so easy. There really is no tip needed. Um, if you can do it on your phone, it's easy because, you know, like I said, they do want to see up close. Not that you couldn't do it from your laptop, but it is extremely easy. It's so nice, especially, you know, for no matter what the age, if you have an email address, you can do this. Cindy's story is a reminder of how powerful telemedicine can be to help patients in need from a long distance away and where time is of the essence. So COVID, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality says, you know, that basically, you know, things really sped up with COVID and it happened fast. There were 13,000 visits a week from Medicare patients pre-COVID. And then April of 2020, it was to 1.7 million visits a week. It happened fast. And how did that impact the quality of healthcare in your opinion? Yeah, there's no question. COVID was a game changer uh, when it comes to telemedicine. And we look at it, you know, it truly was a bittersweet moment. Who would have thought that it would take a pandemic to shine a light to really show the power of telehealth? And what we found, we were fortunate uh, at eCare, we already had a system in place so we could scale it quickly. Uh, so overnight, when we had to close our clinics, we had to train hundreds of doctors on platforms on how to see patients over telemedicine. These same clinics were seeing maybe 10 patients a day, and overnight, they went up to 1,000 patients a day. So the impact there was huge. In addition, setting up a COVID command center where we could route calls from our COVID call line over to a telehealth line. So if somebody had COVID signs or symptoms, we could see them in minutes over an iPad, over a phone, and determine, do you need to be seen in the hospital or night? This was essential because the emergency rooms were packed at this point. So we were able to keep patients at home and provide them care with daily check-ins uh, for COVID. We had to tailor a lot of our programs to COVID. Uh, for example, you had mentioned you were keeping more ventilated patients in the hospitals. This was occurring na uh, nationally. For example, a small rural hospital might have one ventilator that hadn't been used in years. Essentially, they had to dust it off and they had to keep ventilated patients in the ER simply because there was nowhere to send them. The hospitals, the hospitals were all full. Uh, so we developed an RT program where we could help them manage ventilator settings uh, that were much more difficult. We also found that a lot of these small emergency departments were having to intubate patients simply because COVID's a respiratory disease and patients would go into respiratory failure. They might intubate on average one a month, 
Now they're doing possibly one or two a week. Uh, so through our development of what we call our tele-intubation, we have cameras that are on the end of intubating devices. So when somebody's in there intubating inside the airway, we can see uh, the vocal cords where you need to put the breathing tube. On their screen, they, they see it in five inches. We can see it in 50 inches of high definition. And we developed a few different programs. And what we found is that through the use of telemedicine, we can improve your success at intubation. And there's no doubt this saved lives throughout the COVID pandemic. Uh, so overall, we had to tailor multiple different systems, especially in nursing homes. When the nursing homes got locked down, we switched nursing homes completely virtual. Our geriatrician-led team was able to round on nursing home patients in the nursing home, help determine, do you have signs and symptoms of COVID? If so, test them, and then actually set up COVID wings uh, within nursing homes. Similar on the inpatient side, we were able to develop entire hospital wings for COVID patients and virtually see all the patients. This not only helped the patients, but it helped the specialists too. The specialists were able to see patients remotely now. Uh, this not only helped prevent spread, but when we were short on masks, what we like to call PPE, we were able to preserve a lot of this PPE by seeing these patients virtually. So overall, like I said, it was a game changer. And through development of these different COVID-related programs, it really helped care for these patients, diminish the spread of the, the disease, and also preserve the much-needed much face masks that were in shortage. Uh, that's amazing. And I want to remind our viewers, we got wonderful Dr. Scow and Dr. Meyer here who are experts in telemedicine. If you have questions, there's a couple different ways to email them in and let us know if you have any. We have some that we're basing our discussion on, and we thank you. And one of them is that you know, Phil, with this increased volume of telemedicine happening, there's so many people that, you know, couldn't get to their doctor the way they wanted to, and they were able to, you know, have that telemedicine visit. Is it, is it a safe and secure way to handle their information just like they're with their doctor? Definitely, and I'm glad you asked that because as Brian was speaking, I was thinking, I think I know what I'm going to mention next if uh, Vance doesn't ask. Um, but, but, you know, part of that explosion of telehealth, part of the explosion in numbers uh, was for non-COVID-related things. Okay, you heard on the news, people talked about how there was going to be an access to healthcare problem because hospitals and emergency rooms were so full and so busy with COVID that... Um, heart failure and COPD and diabetes patients who don't have COVID might suffer because they don't have good access to care. My, my outpatient medicine colleagues um, essentially sustained their practices with uh, teleservices, uh, virtual healthcare. Um, it's almost, and it's, and, you know, virtual healthcare, virtual visits has been here, right? It's been around a while. But it's as if it was a technologist, technology just waiting for an opportunity, and, and the pandemic uh, really was that opportunity. And thankfully, those things were in place because they were ready-made, ready to go. The platforms were there. And in the outpatient world, uh, my colleagues were able to continue the continuity of care with their chronically ill patients without uh, exposure. So as you know, outpatient clinics were partially closed. They were uh, limited in the number of, of uh, practitioners that were there per day. Um, I don't quite know what we would have done to prevent 
catastrophic outcomes from chronic illnesses without without e-services. Yeah. I think one of the things I also find fascinating is, and there's been studies on this, that 75% of, of, of diagnoses can happen just by listening to the patient. Do you find that, Phil? I think that's absolutely right. I, there's, you know, we all learned in medical school, it starts with a history. Uh, it, that never will be replaced. I mean, the uh, importance of gaining accurate information, getting the whole story, an accurate story from the patient, cannot be replaced by any type of scan or lab test. And uh, it is the majority of what we can do electronically, and it's extremely important. You asked earlier if this was a safe and effective way to deliver healthcare. Um, it has its limitations in terms of exam. There are some, and actually a lot of physical exam features to electronics now, Dr. Scow mentioned, uh, even being able to assist with intubation. There are electronic stethoscopes, the high definition cameras, you can see skin lesions perfectly well. Um, but absolutely, um, uh, the ability to, to garner information is uh, seamless and it works just as well as in person. Well, it's absolutely amazing to me how we've talked about you can be sitting in your home and you can be getting your doctor in their clinic in a telemedicine way. And the clinic can be talking to the hospital in a telemedicine way. And if the hospital in the rural environment needs specialty services, they can be doing it in a telemedicine way. And it just blows me away that it can be done in a quality and secure fashion. And if there's any goal that I've hoped for with this program is for it to demystify it for people that all they have to do is ask their doctor. They still have the choice for in-person, but they can also have that telemedicine visit. So while telemedicine is an important resource for patients, it also helps doctors every day, especially in rural areas. Jason Wickersham, a doctor in Parkston, South Dakota, explains the impact of Avera eCare. There's a lot of things that we're trained to do as a physician, but you don't see every day. You read about it once or you saw one, but it's been a couple of years. And when that rolls in your emergency room in a rural facility, that can be very scary. You always have the specialist available via phone, but he's not right there in your ER. And having that button on the wall, that e-emergency button where I can hit it, I know I have the support of an emergency room physician who's maybe a little more trained in that given scenario than I am, uh, sees it more often than I see having that, that backup, that confidence to know that I've got extra support there if I need it, that I'm not on an island out here by myself is a, a wonderful feeling. We use lots of e-services here. We have EICU, which is a similar situation, but on the inpatient side of things, maybe we don't see every day, maybe would have to be transferred out of our facility. But because we have those e-services available, we can keep that here. Uh, it benefits us, it keeps the revenue here. It benefits the patients and their families because they don't have to take time off work. They don't have to travel. Probably one of the biggest ones that, that especially patients would have no idea about, you know, they get to see the EER or the EICU maybe in works, 
but they don't see things like e-pharmacy is probably one of the biggest ones. It just gives a great safety net to know that you have extra support, you're not on your own. Uh, there's always the option to hit that button and you can be talking to a physician one-on-one -on -one right there, right then. And I can't imagine anymore practicing in a facility that didn't have the e-services. As we've added e-services, there was different things I thought, well, I don't know, are we really going to use that? Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth the financial cost or input? And I can't think of one e-service, honestly, that after the fact I didn't say, boy, I can't believe I, was, I didn't think that would be helpful or that the cost maybe wasn't worth it. It seems to always pan out that, as I said, now I look back and think, boy, what did I do before we had this? How did I, how did I practice without it? This story is a reminder of how powerful telemedicine can be to specialty care to remote areas to help providers answer the needs of their patients who need specialty help now, or it's difficult for them to travel. So powerful. And so, um, Brian and Phil, uh, this conversation has stimulated some questions from our viewers out there. and. Uh, a Sioux Falls viewer asks, and I thank the Sioux Falls viewer for asking something because we talk about rural, but you know, let's say that Sioux Falls is more urban. Um, I know just as much telehealth happens in urban and rural, and so uh, it's a way to have it at your fingertips immediately. So thank you for calling in. But what options are available for telemedicine in the event that Wi-Fi services are unreliable or unavailable uh, to an area? That's a great question. Uh, when we implement services, for example, in a hospital or in a clinic, uh, we do a full Wi-Fi assessment, and if it needs to be bumped up, we do that. Uh, we had a location in a mountainous, mountainous range, and we essentially had to dig through a mountain to lay a fiber line. Uh, so over the last 10 years, uh, we've experienced these difficulties with Wi-Fi, and, and whenever you can have a dedicated Wi-Fi line, that's helpful. Now, if you look at it uh, from the patient perspective, if you're sitting at home, uh, one of the pieces that that uh, we'll try to educate people on is, you know, don't have the kids, you know, streaming Netflix on their video games during a patient encounter. Uh, we want the best bandwidth available for that video encounter. Now, in the case where we have technical, technical difficulties, phone is the backup. Is phone as good as video? Typically not, just because we can't get that full picture. I can't see how a patient's breathing. I don't get that full assessment. Uh, so in cases where it's really poor Wi-Fi and we need to do an assessment, uh, we'll go to phone. We'll try to troubleshoot the Wi-Fi. Uh, and if you have a dedicated plug-in Ethernet cord, uh, that's ideal. Yeah, wonderful. So the phone's definitely better than nothing. Correct. Yeah. And uh, Phil, a Lake Andes viewers curious if doctors can send and receive patient vital readings and monitor reports directly over the telemedicine platform. Absolutely. Um, in fact, um, in uh, critical care, um, the EICU at the Helmsley Helm 
um, is staffed with nurses who have the monitors right in front of them. So um, if I walk into my ICU here in Pier and I have six people in that ICU and they're all on heart monitors behind the nurses station, I can go back there at any time and look and see what their heart rhythm is, their pulse, their blood pressure, all their vital signs. And if I've asked for the help of the EICU, the EICU physicians and nurses at the helm are seeing the exact same thing that I'm seeing uh, in real time. In fact, it's not uncommon that they will call and say, hey, we saw something uh, um, on so-and-so in room three. We wanted to make sure that, uh, that you were aware. Yeah, and, and in addition, this question really relates to what we call RPM, which is remote patient monitoring, which is definitely a growing field. And they're essentially, there's suitcases available that can be sent out to patients' homes that have what we call peripherals. Uh, these can be a pulse oximeter, blood pressure cuff. Uh, you can get an EKG uh, through your fingertips. In addition, uh, these can actually be uploaded seamlessly through a Bluetooth connection uh, to your phone and beamed back to the physician in certain telemedicine companies. Um, in fact, in assisted living facilities, uh, there's different types of, you've got blood glucose monitoring that automatically uploads. Uh, there's even attachments on toilets to see how often uh, maybe in the senior care setting somebody is going to the bathroom and there's different algorithms that use artificial intelligence to help to determine oh is this a pattern where a urinary tract infection might exist. The question is there's a lot of data that we can collect and we're trying to sort through what do we do with all this data and can that type of data really change the quality of care that we're providing to patients. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Keep sending in your questions because some amazing ones are coming in. And, and Phil, I think we already touched on this, but since it's been asked again, I think it's so important because our goal is for patients to feel comfortable using telemedicine. But this caller says, I worry about my health data going over the internet. Are visits confidential? Absolutely. Um, visits are um, completely confidential all of the technology is uh, inside a secure virtual network firewall protection so to speak uh, encrypted um, users of these devices require two-factor authentic authentication to get in in other words myself i have to have two factors to get in not just a password but a token um, and so uh, very well encrypted very secure um, breach of that security has not been a problem with our system. Dr. Scow can probably speak to that as well. Yeah, you bring up some good points there. Uh, Software is uh, HIPAA secure. None of the video act interactions are recorded. Um, you know, and it's interesting with the emergency declaration with COVID, uh, federal government loosened up the laws saying, you know, you could use FaceTime and a few other things. We did not. Uh, we continued to use these HIPAA compliant platforms where all the medical and uh, PHI, patient health information is secure. Yeah. And I think after COVID, it's kind of switched to more the HIPAA compliant and I think people can feel real secure about that, and they can ask too. Yep. And so a viewer asked Phil, um, since this is a peer resident, um, they're wondering if they need a certain browser, an application, uh, a phone to use telemedicine, th that she's concerned that many rural residents do not have access to the more advanced technology that is used in telemedicine. 
You know, I, I, what the viewer is asking about there is actually doing a, um, a remote visit from home or from wherever he or she is, um, different than what we would facilitate in a, in a healthcare facility. But the answer to that is uh, no, no special browser required, um, literally a, a cell phone. Um, and uh, I, I believe uh, the, the app that we use in the Avera system can be downloaded such that you can uh, uh, access that and get uh, access to a, a virtual visit 24-7. Um, uh, so, no, you need nothing more than a cell phone, honestly. Yeah, and in, in addition, uh, through the eCare program uh, and Home Health, uh, we did provide thousands of preloaded iPads, um, you know, especially to maybe underserved area, elderly population, and train them on how to use it. And we wanted to make it as simple as possible. So it's an email, click on the link, and the video will pop up. And then we also do training over the phone prior to. So if they don't have access, we try to give them the best access possible. Wonderful. A viewer asks, and Brian, what is the most important thing I can do to prepare for a telemedicine visit? Um, it depends on the location. So if you're in direct-to-consumer, if you're calling in, let's say, to the Avera Now platform, uh, you want to make sure you have appropriate bandwidth, Wi-Fi, like I mentioned earlier, that you know, you're not streaming multiple things. And there's actually something that you test on that clicks the connection prior. Uh, you want to make sure you have uh, you know, a list of your home medications, that you're familiar with your past medical, surgical history, that you have that information uh, readily available if we don't have access to it. So it's really similar uh, to an in-person visit when you would go into the clinic, think of it from that standpoint. Wonderful. Preparation helps the in-person in visits too. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so, Phil, a Sioux Falls viewer wants to know what services provided through telemedicine are covered by Medicare and or Medicaid? Um, if it's ordered by um, your treating physician, your on the ground hospital physician or clinic physician, it's covered by Medicare and Medicaid. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are some things that are not covered, um, but for the purposes we use it, uh, visits, um, clinic visits or hospital visits, it is, it is covered and, and covered well. Um, wasn't always the case, has been now for, for many years and really allowed the growth of uh, telemedicine. With the, with the COVID pandemic, we're seeing reimbursement improve, uh, which is essential. And we call it parity, where the in-person visit is equal to the virtual visit. And you really would need to check with your, your health plan. Uh, but through the advent of COVID, we're seeing more and more things covered and reimbursement continues to improve, which will only fuel the growth of telemedicine. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Another caller asked, can I refuse telemedicine? And I'm gonna just answer this. Um, that's one of the beauties is that you have a choice. Um, and uh, you can go in person still. Uh, we all have clinics and we all, you know, love seeing our patients, but it's so nice to have the telemedicine option for those that want it or are in need. And so Brian, an emailer asks, They've read about different types of telemedicine store and forward, remote monitoring, and real-time interactive services. Can you explain what these are and what is the most common? 
I mean, storing forward, that's your area. Uh, so, uh, for example, uh, retinal scans. Uh, let's say uh, there's a rural clinic that has a retinal scanner, uh, but they don't have uh, Vance Thompson right. living in the community. Right. Uh, so what they can do is shoot multiple pictures, store them. Uh, you can be in your office uh, sitting down at your desk and evaluate you know, 15 patients over 15 minutes and give your impression of the retinal scan. Do they need further treatment? Is this a normal retinal scan? Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, there's the three big categories. Synchronous, which is audio-visual connection. Uh, asynchronous, which can be um, like this store and forward, which we really see mainly with dermatology, radiology. Essentially think of it as things that you can take pictures of, that you can store in the cloud, and a physician can see later. And then the third category I mentioned earlier was the remote patient monitoring with the multiple different peripherals. Um, we also see this on orthopedics. Uh, for example, if you had a total knee replacement. Uh, orthopedics can put a digital patch on your knee and that patch can monitor your range of motion uh, through physical therapy to see if you're getting an adequate range of motion. It can measure your sweat, it can measure the temperature to see if it's if you're getting a post-operative infection and all this information can be beamed back to the orthopedic surgeon in real time. So we're actually able to catch infections and things where you might need better physical therapy earlier. So there's a lot of different applications and as as technology keeps becoming cheaper and becomes more advanced, there's going to continue to be more. Amazing. I mean, we talk about how 75% we can handle the diagnosis just with listening, but the diagnostics just keep getting better and better, what we can do through uh, telemedicine. And it's just going to keep growing. So another viewer and we've talked a little bit about technology, but I can tell people are really interested in this. And so, Phil, I'm going to go back to you. They're just wondering if you could just just briefly tell us again what you know kind of internet and products she should be prepared to have as someone to use for telemedicine, especially if she plans on renovating or building a home. Well, I, I think that um, clearly um, a laptop or uh, a tablet product with a, a built-in camera would be best. Uh, like I said earlier, you, you can do this on a smartphone, but for a larger screen, a typical size laptop or, or an iPad or a tablet of some kind is really all that would be required. Wonderful. And a good connection. Uh, bandwidth, of course, uh, is going to be important. Um, uh, Ethernet as opposed to Wi-Fi, unless you have a very strong Wi-Fi signal, uh, those would be my suggestions. That's wonderful. I, I think that we want the, the viewers to know simple still works also. You don't need all this. You have your phone, you can get help. And now for the answer to tonight's Prairie Doc quiz question, which statement is true regarding telemedicine in the United States? A. Patients are more likely to recommend a provider who gives them a choice between an in-person and a telemedicine visit, or B, telemedicine patient satisfaction is similar at all ages, or C, both are true. Well, the answer is C. The recent rapid increase in telemedicine and telemedicine research has shown that patients appreciate having a telemedicine choice and that all ages of patients appreciate it and after they experience it, have positive things to say. 
the winner of tonight's quiz is Joe Dawkinson from Yankton, South Dakota. Thank you, Joe, for participating. A book will be in the mail soon. We'll be right back after this. Welcome to your Prairie Dog Library at www.prairiedog.org. Wherever you live or travel, you and your family can enjoy free and easy access 24 hours a day. Search for a specific topic, browse through the television shows, radio programs, and blog page. You, your family, and friends around the world can learn from physicians and other health professionals answering questions on a variety of medical topics. Visit your Prairie Doc Library today at www.prairiedoc.org. In the old days, country doctors often cared for folks by coming to the patients' homes. These house calls brought great relief to people and families that needed medical attention. Nowadays, we are becoming familiar with telemedicine or healthcare services provided electronically via the internet. In rural settings, telemedicine helps provide specialty care to patients without the travel required for in-person visits. Access to medical care via telemedicine can greatly reduce costs and wait times for those in need. And during the pandemic, we saw how telemedicine grew tremendously regardless of location. Some aspects of telemedicine are almost like being together in person. For instance, according to Nobel Peace Prize recipient, Dr. Bernard Laun, in about 75% of patient encounters, listening to the patient describe the symptoms and their concerns allows doctors to obtain sufficient information to make the diagnosis before performing a physical exam and tests. Experience has shown that listening and diagnosis can occur via telemedicine, but can empathy occur to the point of the patient feeling deeply cared for? Caring is defined as feeling or showing concern for or kindness to others. I feel caring for one another is one of the most important aspects of our life here on Mother Earth. There has been significant research about the telemedicine patient experience. In a 2020 landmark study called the Press Ganey Report on telehealth, more than 3.5 million surveys about telemedicine were sent out in the United States and the results were supportive of this new technology. Overall, patients considered the telehealth experience a positive Patients also felt very cared for in their telehealth visit, and they were more likely to refer their friends to a doctor who provided choice between an in-person visit or a telehealth visit. What was also interesting is that it did not matter the age of the patient. Millennials and boomers alike gave similar positive ratings to doctors and healthcare facilities that provided them the option of telehealth. Like I tell my fellow physicians and healthcare providers, whether in private or academic practice, or in training, we are here to serve the public. I believe telehealth is here to stay because the public wants it. Offering both a quality telehealth network visit 
and the more traditional in-person visits gives patients the choice with regards to which is best for them. It also demonstrates that providers and health systems are listening to the patient. A big thank you to our guests, Dr. Brian Scow and Dr. Philip Meyer, for volunteering their time to help us learn more about telemedicine. For the past year, we've been living with the pandemic caused by the COVID-19 virus. Over 500,000 people in the United States have died in that time. About 43% of Americans have had at least one dose of the vaccine and about 30% are fully vaccinated. But we cannot let our guard down. We need everyone to become fully vaccinated. In the meantime, please keep washing your hands, social distance, and wear a mask. If you would like more information like this about this program to see and hear more episodes, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us on prairiedoc.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. That does it for tonight from all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. The pandemic has affected all of us. Women, particularly mothers, have felt the impact in unique ways. Mothers in crisis, pandemic stress. Next time, On Call with the Prairie Doc. Hello, I'm Dr. Ken Bartholomew from Peer. Last fall, I instituted the uh, Healing Words Foundation Kayak Challenge, and we got a good start, but inclement weather and three cancer surgeries halted our progress. Now it's spring and it's time to pick up the paddle and resume my quest. I instituted this challenge last fall to try to keep Prairie Doc on the air, and we need your donations to help do that. This will help keep advertisement-free medical education coming to the public. Won't you accept the challenge and support us with 10 cents, 25 cents, 50 or even a dollar per mile of the 411 miles I plan to have covered by the end of this summer? Go to prairie.org and click on the donate button or mail your donation to P.O. Box 752, Brookings, South Dakota. Be sure to include the word kayak in the memo. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Dock has been provided by. Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Dock on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, P. 
Pier District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.